Hello and welcome back to the Tent Makers Podcast, where we aim to make and grow disciples by magnifying the Lord and providing clear explanations of His Word. I'm one of your co-hosts, Summit Murray, and this is actually going to be another episode where you only hear from me. Uh, the guys and I have talked about doing solo episodes like this. Usually we just enjoy all recording together, so this is a little bit rare, but I'm excited. This topic is very near and dear to the Tent Makers. Um, so today, I'm going to take us on a journey through Psalm 19. And about a month ago, I delivered a sermon at an event down the road over this very psalm. So if you were there or if you listened online, you're going to pretty much be hearing the same thing, but in podcast form. I did tweak it a little bit. So if you're still going to press on and listen to this, uh, you're going to hear a few new things. But I'm excited to get into this. I hope you are too. As always, send in your feedback. Share this episode with anyone who crosses your mind. Let's roll that intro and get into it. What you need to know is that salvation is by faith and faith alone in Jesus Christ. And faith alone in Jesus Christ is preceded and followed by repentance. A turning away from sin, a hatred for the things that God hates and a love for the things that God loves. A growing in holiness and a desire not to be like Britney Spears, not to be like the world, and not to be like the great majority of American Christians, but to be like Jesus Christ. I don't know why you're clapping. I'm talking about you. And we're going to talk about one thing. What's wrong with you people? I'm serious. God does not need you. And he's going to prove it one day because you're going to die and the world's going to keep on spinning at the same rate it was before you were here. And somebody's going to get all your stuff. I mean, this is what's wrong with the Christian church today. We don't know who God is. And we don't know who we are. All right, so Psalm 19. It opens with this beautiful assertion. It says, The heavens declare the glory of God. Now, I would argue that this is the most natural and fundamental conviction of the human experience. What I mean by that is this. In one short verse, we find an infinite sea of truth. And, and that is this. It is evident that God exists. And the God who exists created all things and has made his existence evident by his creation. That is the most natural and foundational observation that we human beings can make. Without any words from someone else, without any influence from the internet or society or culture, any human being can gaze up at the sky and draw this conclusion. I have a maker. Now I want to go ahead and just read through this psalm. If you're in a position to do this, I would encourage you to open your Bible or, or, or pull it up on your phone and read along with me. Uh, but if you're like me and you do most of your podcast listening while you're driving down the road, then uh, please don't do that. Um, just listen along. But here's what the Word of God says in Psalm 19. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims His handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. In them he has set a tent for the sun, which comes out like a bridegroom leaving his chamber, and, like a strong man, runs its course with joy. Its rising is from the end of the heavens, and its circuit to the end of them, and there is nothing hidden from its heat. Verse 7. The law of the Lord is perfect reviving the soul. 
The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, and sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned. In keeping them, there is great reward. Who can discern his errors? Declare me innocent from hidden faults. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Okay, so this might seem random, but I want to brag on my wife for a minute. Uh, this past Christmas, she got me a gift that really just blew my mind. Um, usually, I try to guess whatever gift she's getting me, but I like I could not crack the code this time around. Um, I think sometimes I come pretty close, but matter of fact, I, I actually can never guess what she gets me. Anyways, this uh, this past Christmas, she got me a telescope. This gift is especially dear to me because for a large chunk of my childhood, I wanted to be an astronomer. Um, I've just I've always been fascinated by the stars and the planets and galaxies so much so that I wanted to make a career out of it. I wanted to be a professional stargazer, and though that didn't pan out, I still frequently gaze at the stars. I just don't get paid for it. Um, so there's a short walk between our church and our house. And every night that I'm walking home from my office, I can't help but just look up at the stars and be really just stopped in my tracks. And that's because there's something just truly special about gazing up at the night sky. And so with this telescope, we've been able to go out at night and hone in on different parts of the sky, getting an even closer look at the stars that are trillions and trillions of miles away. Talk about an amazing sight. So this is an example of what the Bible often refers to as the heavens. The word heavens isn't always a reference to God's heavenly kingdom, what you might think of when you hear the word heavens. Oftentimes, the Bible authors um, or the biblical authors were referring to the sky above us and even beyond the sky into the depths of outer space. So when we gaze up at the heavens, we're seeing objects that are trillions of miles away from where we're standing, and we see a lot of them. And every time I stop for a moment to look up at the heavens, I'm pressed with this kind of rhetorical question, and that's this. How in the world is the universe so big? And that's a fair question, but it's one that I've always kind of known the answer to. And the answer, of course, is that an infinitely powerful God created it. Now, I'm not saying that I've always known this God personally. That would be unbiblical. But the answer has always been clear. There's no denying the truth that presses us from within. An infinite God created the expanses of the universe. The heavens are abundantly screaming to us that God exists. In Psalm 19, David says that the heavens declare the glory of God and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. All of creation, from the stars to the dirt, declares that God exists and that God is glorious. These truths are evident to you and me and everyone who has ever lived. We're all naturally aware that something is bigger than the universe. It's the only logical conclusion as to why we exist at all. That's why no one has ever been satisfied by concluding that life is meaningless or that we have no intentional origin. It doesn't fit with what we internally know to be true based on the evidence around us. We're programmed to know the God who created us. And that's why 
from our deepest pits of awareness, we're unable to shake the notion that God is the answer to our existential questions. What we can gather from the first half of Psalm 19 is that everyone has been made aware of the God who created them, even if they do not know him. All people know of the creator, even if they do not know his name. And David is not the only person in the Bible who makes this clear. Look at the words of the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 1. Uh, Starting in verse 18, he says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth, literally bind, hold down, restrain the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world, in things that have been made, so they are without excuse. God has not only revealed himself to mankind through the evidence of the heavens and the earth. Um, looking at these verses that, uh, that come from Romans 1, he's also revealed himself to mankind through the way he made us to operate from within, namely our conscience, our morals. What I mean is that we see undeniable evidence for God through our own morals as human beings. We have morals because God has written his law on our hearts. Look at Romans chapter 2 um, to learn more about that. Yeah, even though God has written his law in our hearts, we, uh, we still break his law by making poor moral decisions. Actually, that's how we break his law, is by making poor moral decisions. And to answer one objection before it even gets brought up, people do not have to know the law in order to break it. Like, cognitively know and understand the law. We, first of all, know and understand the law from within, morally, because he's written it on our hearts. But you don't have to have it laid out on paper in order to break it. So I just want to um, push that objection out of the way. People suppress the knowledge of God, even knowing deep down that he's there. God has revealed himself in his creation. But those who deny God, as Paul said, suppress the truth. Notice that the case is not that people are searching for the truth but can't find it. Rather, the case is that all people who deny the existence of God are claiming that they simply do not know from the deepest parts of their awareness that we have a creator. But they do. They do know that. In the court of law, this is called an appeal to ignorance. But as Paul said, what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. However, men actively suppress the most natural and fundamental truth that we can know. God exists. The skies know God made them, and they bring him glory. They declare his glory. So do the rocks. So do the trees. But we suppress the most fundamental truth of nature, which is that God created it. Human beings reject that and refuse to give God glory for the splendor of his creation. And that has many severe implications.
What you just heard was a bit of a song called This Wild Earth by an artist named Young Oceans. I highly recommend you go listen to his music, um, and I highly recommend you go just listen to that song in its entirety. It's phenomenal, and I think it's so fitting for this um, topic today. And that's going to unfold a little bit more as we continue in our discussion. So we've talked about the evidence for God, as is laid out in the first half of Psalm 19. Uh, just this general kind of evidence that God has given us for his existence and for his attributes, his um, eternal power, his splendor, his glory in creation. So we've seen through just the first half of Psalm 19 how God has made himself known to all men everywhere in a general manner. We've talked about the evidence for God. Now I want to move into another section, and I want to talk about the error of man. So all men have evidence for God. And when I use this word man or men, like I will a lot in this episode, I'm talking generally about mankind, Um, not just males, but male and female, all of mankind. All men have evidence for God, but choose to reject him. God has written his law on the hearts of all men, yet all men have broken it. God has made his power clear to all men, yet all men disobey him. And that's our problem. We all sin. And when you understand the truth that there is no salvation from your sin apart from knowing Christ, and that all men everywhere are guilty of their sin because God has made his existence clear, then that makes this psalm a little bit more daunting. And we're going to unpack all of that through the remainder of this episode. And so now I want to talk about this fact. A general knowledge of God is not enough to save. And if, if I were to give this episode kind of one driving theme, it would probably be that. A general knowledge of God is not enough to save. And here's why. We see from the first six verses of Psalm 19 that all people everywhere are faced with the evidence for God. This is because God has revealed himself to mankind in a general manner. The first six verses of Psalm 19 speak to the general revelation of God to the world. But if we keep on reading, we come to a different kind of revelation. And so when you read through Psalm 19, you you can notice the two types of revelation that David is talking about. God's general revelation to all of mankind and his special revelation that not everyone possesses. So we have his general revelation, which is essentially creation. He has revealed himself to us through his creation, meaning we all have a general understanding of the God who made us. Um, for example, we get a glimpse at his power, um, just in, in, in the fact that the universe is so big and, and the earth is so big, but also um, we, we get a glimpse at his standards as well, going back to what we talked about with our own morals and God's law being written on our hearts. And so we we have this kind of general revelation of God, but he's also given us a special revelation, which is his word. At the start of the psalm, to about verse 6, David talks about God's creation declaring to us that God is there and that he is glorious. But then he takes a sudden turn, shifting from God's creation to his word. Verse 7, The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right. Rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. David goes on and on, but the focus is clearly on God's word. Uh, Notice that we see all of these words, law, testimony, precepts, commandment, fear, which, if you know your Bible, is the beginning of knowledge, Uh, rules. These are all different ways of referring to the word of God. 
This is God's special revelation to us. So we have to ask, what makes God's word, which David is talking about for half of the psalm, so special? What does it contain that warrants such descriptions that he used? Notice how he described it. He said, the word of God is more to be desired than gold, even much fine gold. So consider the value that the Bible has if it is more desirable than even much fine gold. David also said the word of God is sweet. In fact, it's sweeter than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Um, If you know me, I love honey. Honestly, I'd, I'd almost rather have much honey than much fine gold. But the Bible, bottom line, is better than both of those. So what is so special and sweet about this book that should cause us to desire it more than even the finest riches of the earth? Think about it. What is revealed in the Bible that's not revealed anywhere else in all creation? What is the glorious story, the triumphant theme of all of Scripture? It's the gospel. The gospel is what makes the Bible so sweet and so desirable. So what is the gospel? Okay, Romans 1.16 tells us, first of all, that the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. It's, it's the story of the saving work of Christ on the cross, and by it, men and women are saved from the wrath of God. Without it, All are lost in their sin and under the wrath of God. The gospel is important, and we must make sure that we know what the gospel is. So the word gospel um, comes from the Greek word euangelion, which means good news. The word gospel has been used as kind of a synonym for many things, like music genres or, or preaching styles, but the word itself means good news. And that news is the power of God for salvation. So what is the news and what makes it good? Now, you've heard all of this before on the Tent Makers podcast. I'm aware of that. But it's our aim to make the gospel clear every chance that we get. It's that important. So please don't tune out now. Even if you're a Christian who knows the gospel in and out, you should also know that you need to hear it just as much as anyone else. So let's talk about this euangelion, this good news. In order to understand all this stuff, we must understand that before there can be good news, there has to be bad news. That's just logic. So let's start with the bad news. The bad news is this. Everyone is under the wrath of God. The same God who has the infinite power to create the universe is the same God whose wrath everyone deserves. Why? Because when God created human beings, the first being Adam and Eve, he was in perfect communion with them. He walked with them daily. He created the heavens and earth and placed them in paradise, the Garden of Eden. He gave them all they could ever need. He gave them dominion. They were fully taken care of, right? He even walked daily with them. Like, how amazing is that? And he also gave them one command, which was this. Do not eat of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. They had everything else. They had all they could ever need. They had every other tree in the garden, in fact. Just don't eat of this tree. That was their one command. But they did. They ate of the tree, and they disobeyed God. This is called sin. Sin is when we disobey God, when we break God's law. And when you break God's law, you're sinning. And let's let's talk about this attribute of God called holiness. God is holy, meaning that he is perfect and he is fully set apart. Sin cannot exist in his presence. There is no sin in the presence of holiness. If sin is imperfection and God being holy is perfect, then sin will not exist in the presence of God. It is consumed. 
So immediately following the sin of Adam and Eve, we see the effects of it. Separation from God. When Adam and Eve sinned, they ran away from God and they hid in the garden. That's what sin does. It divides us. Human beings and God are divided. So ever since sin entered the first man, Adam, all of mankind has inherited a sin nature. And not only that, but we all actively break God's law. Therefore, we're all separated from God. And while that is bad news, that's not all of it. And that's because while God is holy, he's also just. There's another attribute. And so what I mean is that God executes perfect justice. For example, if someone breaks the law in the United States, there are consequences, right? A just judge will enact those consequences for a lawbreaker. So it is with God. God is perfectly just. And everyone has broken God's law, so there is a consequence that everyone has to face. And the Bible tells us that this consequence, the consequence for sin, is death. Not just physical death, but death in the form of God's eternal wrath. You've sinned against an infinite, holy, powerful God. Therefore, you deserve an infinite, righteous judgment. Because of our sin, we're so tainted that even our best works and our efforts are the equivalent of filthy rags before God. So hear me when I say that there is nothing we can do to earn our salvation. We are infinitely unrighteous. So that's the bad news. But there's good news. The Evangelion, the gospel. God has had a plan from eternity past to save those who deserve his wrath. Just pause right there. Like, that alone is enough to just shock you. God has had a plan to save those who deserve his wrath. That plan was for Jesus Christ, who is God in the flesh, to enter the world and be slain in our place. Let me explain that. Jesus was born to the Virgin Mary, who conceived Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit. I, I throw in those details because it's important um, because it, it means that he didn't inherit a sin nature like the rest of mankind. Jesus was perfectly sinless, so his works weren't tainted by sin like ours are. So everything that we do, every good work that we, uh, we do to try to accomplish salvation, it's tainted because we're sinful. Jesus was not sinful, so his works were um, efficient, right? And sufficient as well. So during Jesus's ministry, he was very popular in some good ways and some bad ways. Some loved Jesus and knew him for who he was, the Messiah. Many said that they loved him, but only one of the things they could get from him when they saw his miracles. And many hated him for various reasons. Um, Jesus was mostly hated by the religious elite of the day, which ultimately led to his public execution by means of crucifixion. But that was his plan all along. Philippians 2 verse 8 says, And being found in human form, he, Jesus, humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Christ willingly gave himself up to death on a cross for our sake. So how was it for our sake? How did Christ's death affect me and affect you? Have you ever wondered that? Like, what did some man's death 2,000 years ago really do for us? Growing up in what's known as the Bible Belt, we hear that all the time. I know most of our listeners are, are kind of from this general area. And so probably from a young age, you've heard the name of Jesus and you've probably heard Jesus died for you. Jesus loves you. Jesus wants to save you. But like, have you, have you ever wondered what does that have to do with me? How did some guy dying 2000 years ago affect me today? 
I want to explain that because I've had those questions and, and it's very important that you understand that because if you don't understand that, you don't understand the gospel. So when Jesus was on the cross, though he himself had never sinned, he took on our sin. What I mean is that he literally bore our sin when he died. This is very important because you must remember what I said earlier. God is just. God would never merely excuse our sin or, or, or brush it off or say, yeah, you're fine. You're fine. Move along. Because to do so would be unjust. God would be a corrupt judge. That would mean God is not God. But he is perfectly just. So all sin must be punished. That's why Christ wore our sin on the cross. If Christ did not take our sin upon himself, then we would still be under the wrath of God. So when Christ died, God the Father's wrath was poured out on him instead of on me. That's why we can have salvation at all is because Jesus was wearing our sin on the cross. So this is the good news. This is the gospel. Christ died the death that you deserve so that you can live the life that he deserves. And three days after his death, he was raised to life. Now, this is what sets Jesus apart from, from of, of course, there are many reasons uh, or many, many things that set Jesus apart from other religious leaders who claim to be the way to salvation. But I want you to notice this one. Jesus was raised from the dead. Who else has ever been raised from the dead of their own accord? No one. Christ was raised from the dead, and he continues to live and reign to this day. But I want you to hear me when I say this. You are not merely saved by hearing a story. Please don't turn this episode off today um, thinking that you're saved by hearing this story and hearing it only. You can't be saved by merely hearing the story or having your head filled with knowledge. Jesus gave a command that accompanies this gospel. And that command is this, repent and believe the gospel. And that is to say, turn from your life of sin and believe in the saving work of Christ. Surrender your life to Christ and you will be saved. Okay, that's the message that makes the word of God so special. So maybe maybe you were wondering, isn't this like a little off topic? Like, the gospel, yes, it's important and it applies to everything, but why take a deep dive into it? Because it's so necessary, it's so crucial for you to understand in order to properly interpret Psalm 19. You have to understand the gospel in order to understand Psalm 19. Why? Because David makes it very clear that the word of God is so special, right? And the thing that makes it so special is the gospel, Nowhere else in all of creation do we find that message. It's only found in the Word of God. And as much as the heavens declare the glory of God, the stars will never preach the gospel. And I think David structured this psalm very intentionally. I think his purpose was to show that while everyone has access to the knowledge of God, it's only through knowing God specially that you can be saved. So that means there are severe implications we can gather from this short psalm. For one, we know that God exists. It's been made clear to us. One glimpse into the night sky reveals that we're not a product of chance, but of intelligent design. If you step outside and look around at the trees, or listen to the crickets, or feel the wind blowing, you're coming face to face with the evidence for God. But these things don't just act as evidence, they constantly bring glory to God. The trees, swaying back and forth, are worshiping God. The stars, shimmering and burning, are worshiping God. 
The mountains standing firm and tall are worshiping God. The rivers and the brooks that are guiding the waters are worshiping God. The birds soaring in their patterns, resting in the trees, you guessed it, are worshiping God. All of creation worships God, not because it's all conscious and alive and has soul, but because it's fully obedient to the will and command of God. All of creation bows down and surrender to him, with one exception. Its name is man. There's one creation that is actively turned away from God in disobedience. There's one creation that has been given all evidence for the God who created it and yet chooses to rebel against God's command. This is the error of man. that so far. For one, God created all things. Also, God's creation declares his glory and gives us evidence for his existence. Also, though we know that God is there, we all have turned away from him. As Paul said, men suppress the knowledge of the truth. Also, in turning away from God, we have sinned and therefore earned his wrath, which is eternal death. Also, There is only one hope for salvation from God's wrath, which is the gospel, the story of Christ's life, death, and resurrection, and the call to repentance and faith. Also, there is no salvation apart from the gospel, for the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. So that brings us to the extreme need for the gospel. We've talked about the evidence for God, the error of man. Now let's talk about our extreme need for the gospel, which is where we get the episode title for today, The Greatest Need. I want to point out something that should be pretty obvious by now. If all men have sinned, then all men are under the wrath of God. This is one of those things that many in the church find too uncomfortable to talk about, which is probably why there are many in the church who are doing nothing about it. Now, I love the church. Please do not think I'm attacking the church, but I and my fellow tent makers have seen the effect that cultural Christianity, Stephen would be happy right now, has played on the lost status of our nation and the world. And we know that there needs to be a great change. So we need to stop ignoring the fact that all men everywhere are under the wrath of God. We need to also stop playing games with our theology and trying to dance around that truth. Every framework that you come up with that tries to get around that truth will fail when it is tested by God's word. So let it be clear. All men everywhere are under the wrath of God. This is where we really have to wake up and see the implications that Psalm 19 contains. And the implications are this. It's not enough for you to have a general knowledge of God in order to be saved. You must know God specially. I think David was being very intentional in how he wrote the psalm. It's like he's saying everyone knows about God, but it is only through the word of God, namely the gospel of God, that they can be saved. It is only through the gospel that salvation can be obtained. This means that we, Christians, 
have an urgent responsibility to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. One of my favorite passages of scripture is Romans 10. In this chapter, Paul, the apostle, explains how the message of salvation goes out and is received by people. He says that people are saved by calling on the name of the Lord, and that they only call on the name of the Lord by repenting and believing, and that they will only repent and believe if they hear the gospel, and that they will only hear the gospel if someone tells it to them, and that someone will only tell it to them if they are sent. And here is a fundamental truth of Christianity. Every Christian is sent to preach the gospel. Now here is where we see something interesting. Immediately following this, Paul says in verse 18 of Romans chapter 10, But I ask, have they not heard? Indeed they have, for their voice has gone out to all the earth and their words to the ends of the world. Question, did you notice that Paul was directly quoting from Psalm 19? He was echoing the point that all men everywhere have been given a general knowledge of God. And this quote was in the light of the understanding that it is not a general knowledge, but a specific knowledge of the gospel that saves sinners. So in the opening verses of Psalm 19, it's made clear that all people have the evidence for God all around them. Therefore, no one has an excuse before God for their sin or for their neglect of God. All have been given abundant evidence, but suppress the truth by nature. Later in the psalm, we see the infinite importance of God's special revelation to us, which is his word. And in his word, we find his gospel. We know that no one is saved by a general revelation of God. Simply believing that God exists does not save you. It's only through repentance and faith in the gospel, surrendering your life to Christ, that you will be saved. And that is a message that is only found in the word of God. So, as much as the heavens declare God's glory, they don't tell anyone how they can be saved. And this is where I really need you to hear me. The heavens don't tell the world the gospel. The heavens declare the glory of God, but they don't preach the gospel. Only the word of God does. And while all men have access to seeing the heavens, there is a huge number of people who do not have access to the word of God. And that means that we, as Christians, have a serious and urgent calling to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. If all men everywhere are guilty before God, which they are, then all men everywhere must hear the gospel. Without the gospel, salvation is not possible. The world has an extreme need for the gospel. So I talked a little bit about the Bible Belt uh, a few minutes ago, and that's kind of where the tent makers and I have all grown up. And we know that most of our listeners are kind of from this general area as well. So that means that you have probably grown up where Christian terms are kind of like a second language, even though, if I'm being blunt, most people don't know what they mean. But that also means that you, having heard the gospel, will be held even more accountable for your neglect of it if you don't surrender to Christ. If you want scriptural evidence for that, I suggest you look to Hebrews chapter 1. It also means that you, if you are a Christian, have an urgent calling to take the gospel to the whole world, where a great majority does not know it. Remember, no one can be saved apart from the gospel. 
And as Christians, we must have an urgency about taking the gospel to the ends of the earth. Okay, so thank you for listening to another episode of the Tentmakers Podcast brought to you by Tentmakers Ministries. If you haven't already, go give us a like or a follow on Facebook and Instagram at Tentmakers Ministries. You can also reach out to us at tentmakersthepodcast.com. Also, go check out our updated website, um, which is tentmakersministries.com. Here you'll find the latest information, articles, podcasts, and soon training resources and book reviews by the Tentmakers and some friends. So I hope you enjoyed this, uh, this, this teaching, this journey through Psalm 19. If you have any thoughts, if you have any feedback, please, like, like I said, send them in. Um, we love to hear from you. We, we want to learn from you as well. In the last episode, Peyton sent you off with a doxology from Paul in Romans, and I liked that, so I'm going to steal his idea, and we might just make it a common thing now. But I'm going to send you off with a doxology from Jude. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy, to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. Amen.